Hey, it is great to be with you uh, on this uh, July 4th weekend as we celebrate uh, our independence. It is always a, uh, a privilege for me to be able to, uh, to address you with, uh, with God's Word. And uh, I, I thought maybe uh, today, the, the message I, I told you a month ago, I'd, uh, I'd be probably be doing a second uh, part to Galatians, but I kind of changed my mind. I, I have this uh, tradition in the summer uh, of where I read a, a theology book. Um, I've done this for the last seven or eight years on heaven. And I don't know if you've ever have seen this book or if you have it in your library, but it's by uh, Randy Elkhorn. And it's a, a theology book on the doctrine of heaven. And I take the summer to just kind of gradually just kind of go through it, just kind of graze and meditate on it and, and think about it. It's a wonderful book. Um, and if uh, you're looking for a, a book to put into your Christian library, I, I would highly recommend this. Uh, it's just a great uh, time to be refreshed. And, and one of the things that, that I find that, that the book always causes me to do is to th- stop and think about my life and, and how well I am trying to live it for the honor and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of how this, this sermon kind of came about. I kind of got excited about it and, and thought uh, uh, in terms of uh, bringing you a message that deals with living life large for God or, or what is a life that is well lived. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Acts as uh, we're going to look at uh, not only this concept, but we're going to look at it through the, the life of... Um, the Apostle Peter. He is one of my favorite biblical characters, and I thought it might be kind of fun to look at, at, at Peter's life as it relates to this, this issue, and hopefully we can draw upon some of the things that Peter went through in his life, some characteristics that, uh, although these are not exhaustive, but would help us in terms of, of getting a better picture. You know, what does it look like to live life large for God? Uh, probably a lot of things come to your mind, uh, but uh, we want to look at it from the standpoint of, of uh, Peter's life in, in the Bible. Now, uh, we're, we're coming in an episode in Peter's time in his life where uh, the, the church has been established, uh, Pentecost is there, the, the Holy Spirit has, uh, has been given. Th- there are great things that uh, are happening. You know, Peter is now empowered with the Holy Spirit. Uh, just uh, days before this event, we see that Peter is, uh, well, typical Peter, Impetuous Peter, he's, he's kind of up and down spiritually. Um, he is, the, in fact, denied the Lord three times. Three different people ha- had come to him in, in one evening and asked him and said, hey, don't you know this Jesus? And he said, no, no, I never knew him. And um, he, he's kind of failed. <laughs> but now we're seeing a, a side of Peter where he is really maturing spiritually. He's beginning to live life large for the Lord, so to speak. And, and in chapter a, uh, of Acts, chapter 5, uh, Peter's faith is going to be tested. Um, his ministry is growing. The church is growing. People are hearing about the message of the Messiah. And now uh, this is causing some problems among the leadership of, of Israel. And uh, they, they don't like this. And uh, they are losing influence. They're losing popularity. And uh, so they're trying to control the situation. They're trying to stop it. So they drag Peter and the apostles in for questioning. This happened in chapter 4. Um, now, in chapter 5, they have been arrested by the religious uh, authorities of uh, Jerusalem, and uh, they've been put into jail. Uh, but in, in the middle of the evening, there in the middle of the night, an angel appears to the apostles that are in jail, and they, the angel leads them out. 
uh, and tells them that they are to, the next morning, they are to go to the temple, and they are to take their stand. They are to tell the people everything there is to say about this person, Jesus Christ, and who he is. And so promptly and obediently, the apostles enter in the temple at daybreak, and uh, they, uh, they begin to, uh, uh, to do their teaching. Now, meanwhile, the chief priests and his cronies, they come together. Uh, they're going to have this meeting where they're going to bring the apostles before them, and they're going to question them. Really, they're going to intimidate them. They're going to threaten them. And so when they send the authorities down to the jail to uh, bring the apostles up, the authorities find out there's nobody in the jail. <laughs> I mean, the guards are there, the doors are locked, but the apostles aren't there. And so they're scratching their heads, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and then some other people come in to the officials and say, hey, the apostles that you had in the jail last night, they're in the temple, and they're preaching, and they're teaching. And so these officials go there, and they gently bring the apostles before the, the court here. And they, I say gently because uh, they didn't want to create a riot. And so this is where I want you to come. If, uh, fast forward the uh, the. Uh, Acts 5, uh, 17, we want to look in, in Acts 5, 27, actually. Uh, so if we uh, forward the, uh, the slide there again. Um, the, the issue is point one, if you're looking in your notes, the aspect of obeying God. Listen to what uh, Acts, uh, in uh, what Luke records here, in verse 27. Go ahead and see if, we, yeah, we'll get there. I don't know if you can see that very well. I, I apologize. Um, I'm trying to get the right color and the right font size. I hope you can see that. If not, again, um, feel free to use your Bibles um, and just follow along. Um, Luke records this. He says, The, the apostles were brought before and made uh, to appear before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was this, this religious court, kind of what might be comparable today to our Supreme Court, um, maybe even, even the Senate in some ways. Uh, these individuals had a lot of power and control over the Jewish people in, in Jerusalem and, and throughout um, uh, you know, all of, all of Israel at this time. Anyway, they brought him before to be questioned before the, the, uh, the high priest, verse 28. The high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Notice, they don't even say the name of Jesus. <laughs> they're not even willing to, to allow that name to cross their lips. They're, they're so angry and upset. And he says, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> Anyway, Peter goes on, or verse 29, it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. And then he goes on to say that the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Now, the message that the apostles had been communicating to the people at this time was a couple points in their message. One was the fact that the religious leadership of Israel, who had the word of God, it was their duty and responsibility to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. But they didn't do that. Not only that, but they were part of the problem. They were the ones that were part of the conspiracy that put Christ to death. The one whom Peter and the other apostles are now proclaiming. And as I mentioned, this is the second time that Peter uses the, the occasion uh, that he, is, he has in terms of being brought before this court to talk to, to them about Christ. And he says here simply, we must obey God rather than men. Again, I, I, 
I want to draw your attention to the fact that this court was a court that had the power to make life miserable for people, especially Jewish people. That was the authority that they had in the the spiritual realm. They could uh, ostracize you from going to the temple where you couldn't uh, participate in the festivities, the the religious holidays. Um, Jerusalem and the temple was a a key area for uh, socializing. Business transactions took place there too. They could also make it so that people wouldn't buy things if you were selling products or if you needed a job. They could literally make life almost unbearable. And, and it's, it's these lowly fishermen, you know, Peter and the others, who are coming before this group of men who are very sophisticated. Um, they have formal education. Some of them are very wealthy. And yet these, these fishermen, these lowly individuals who aren't wealthy, who, who don't have formal education, are challenging them. How dare these individuals do that? <laughs> but Peter has an advantage, you see. Peter has, has not only the knowledge of the Word of God, but he has the very presence of God with him. And it's made all the difference. You see, real power does not come in the institutions of mankind. I mean, human power is based upon ability. The ability of one person to have an advantage over another person whether it's through, I don't know, military uh, advantage or strength, or, or maybe it's politics, maybe it's economics, maybe it's intellectual uh, power or advantage. But Peter is just this lowly fisherman who has become a leader in the early church because of the message of the gospel. See, the gospel message changes lives. It changed Peter's life. It's going to continue to transform his life. Many of us in this room could give a similar testimony to how that message has changed our own lives. See, what is a life that is well lived for God? What does it look like? Well, again, of course, the, uh, the words that the apostles use, they, 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 just, they just rile up this, uh, this court. And they're upset. They want to put the apostles to death, basically. But then there was this, this eloquent man that, that is among them by the name of Gamaliel. Uh, uh, L, excuse me. Um, he is a, a leading teacher and a Pharisee, um, and he gets stands up and he basically says, "Men of Israel," he says, "Understand something. If the activity of these men is from God, then you're going to be fighting against God. Now, do you really want to do that? Look, if if, if who they are and what they're doing is just a man-made kind of thing, it's going to die out." So he says, "You know." Weigh it carefully in terms of how you, you respond. Well, what he has to say calms him down. And again, that was just a, a, a bit of a paraphrase from what he said. But he calms him down. And so the chief priest decides, well, the best thing we're going to do is we'll, ha- we'll have the apostles beaten. And then uh, we'll order them to speak no longer in the name of Jesus and release them. And that's what happens. Now, if you just drop down into verse uh, 41, go ahead and uh, move the, uh, uh, the slide ahead there. I want you to see the response that the apostles have to this situation. Because it's truly amazing if you think about it. The apostles, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. And day after day, in, 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 the, courts, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but if i got to come before a court and be thrown in jail and then beaten... You know, one of the last things I'm going to be doing is going out rejoicing. But yet, you know what? A life that is well lived 
is a life that will take on that kind of, of attitude, that kind of characteristic. Peter and, and, and the apostles, they were undaunted by the interrogation that they went through. Uh, they recognized that as their Savior suffered for them, so it could be great joy and a privilege for them to be able to suffer for Christ's name. <laughs> and they just keep, keep going back, doing what uh, they were supposed to be doing. Now, there, there are at least four other characteristics that I want to share with you that relate to this issue. The issue of what does it look like to live life large for God. Now, and again, these are not exhaustive, but these are just maybe some principles that can help us in our own um, walk with Christ, in our own ministries that, that maybe we are involved in. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians, uh, go ahead and move the slide. Yeah, in Philippians 4.19, the Apostle Paul was writing to a, a group of believers from Philippi that had uh, invested financially in his missionary endeavors. And he kind of sums up everything he's been saying to them by sharing this. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, being a missionary, for many years, it's a faith-based missionary. We go out and we contact churches and individuals, share with them about our ministry, and then challenge them to prayerfully consider investing in our work. I've come to rely upon that verse many times. In fact, I remember one incident where um, we had uh, come up short one month uh, in terms of uh, people that had been investing. Uh, we actually didn't have enough money to pay the bills. We had enough money to pay for some of them, but not for all of them. And I didn't know how in the world we were going to be able to make ends meet. Uh, we had certain uh, you know, financial responsibilities and, and had been praying about it and, and was, uh, well, I'll be honest with you, I was worrying a little bit about it. And I remember uh, one morning I was getting ready to go to a church where I was preaching, and I happened to notice before I left the house that the, there was an indica- indicator on our mailbox that said we had mail. I thought, well, I thought I got the mail last night. But anyway, uh, obviously I f- probably forgot and went out there and saw, yes, sure enough, there was an envelope there in, in the mailbox. And so I took the, mailbo- uh, the envelope, went back from uh, the, ma- the mailbox to the house, and I, I noticed the, mailbo- uh, the, the envelope was a little different. Different in that it didn't have a return address on it. it. It only had my name. It didn't have the address of the house, and it had no postage. And I thought, oh, no, it was kind of thick. And I thought, oh, no. We, see, we had been doing some speaking in the community with the athletes. Uh, I was a missionary at Penn State um, with Athletes in Action. And uh, one of the things that we, we used to do quite a bit was to go out and speaking in churches and uh, prisons, high schools about our faith. And, and we'd had some, uh, it was a, had been a busy year of doing that, and, and I'd gotten some, in some of our speaking engagements, I'd gotten comments from people. Sometimes people would, would hand uh, literature to me, trying to get me to change my theological position. And, and they meant well, but it's like, ah, I figured, eh, it's probably somebody else has written a, some kind of doctoral, doctrinal dissertation on something that wants me to, to change my position. Well, I got in the house, opened up the envelope, and it wasn't a, a document. It was a lot of money. It was a bunch of ones and fives and tens and a few twenties. I thought, well, now, it almost looked like somebody had taken a collection from a, a large group of people. I thought, well, where would that be coming from? I, I mean, we'd, you know, all the honorariums that had been given to us for our speaking had been given. And, and usually if a church gives money, they're going to let you know, you know, hey, this is coming from us. And, you know, that's just protocol. And, and then I got to thinking, well, you know, I haven't shared this with anybody, the need that we had. I didn't share it with any of the athletes. Uh, nobody knew. And when I counted the money, you know what? It was almost exactly the amount that we needed to pay our bills. It was like 2 or $3 over <laughs> what we needed for that month. I thought, whoa, 
that is just, to this day, I don't know where that money came from. No one has, has, has fessed up. I, I asked a number of uh, people in the community that I knew as well as the athletes on campus, and nobody knew where that came from. I, to this day, don't know where, uh, where it came from. But, but what it brings me back to is what, is what God has promised, that he will meet our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. And, and to be able to live that means that we are, we are willing, being willing to live, point two, in the confidence of the message that God gives us. See, this is what was happening to the apostle Peter and to the rest of the, uh, of the apostles. If you turn over to uh, chapter 2 in the book of Acts, verse 36, Peter is, is standing up before this multitude of Jews who've come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate Passover. And he gets up and he begins to talk about Jesus. And look what he says in verse 36. Uh, there it is, good, thank you. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now again, re- realize that in Peter's day, there were two great powerful institutions that uh, could affect your life. One was the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish religious hierarchy. And if you study the book of Acts and the New Testament, you'll notice that they, were, uh, they did early on give uh, the apostles in the early, early church an awful lot of grief. But then don't forget there was also imperial Rome. Rome had all the power politically, economically, and militarily. And, and again, it, is, it, is, it was Rome that began to promote this idea that Caesar is Lord. And that's where the real rub came with regards to Christianity. It wasn't that the, that the Romans didn't like other religions. No, no, no. If they conquered you, they would let you worship whatever you worshipped. Whatever religion you wanted to believe, that's fine, as long as you agreed that Caesar is Lord. You see, the Christians weren't willing to do that. And Peter was the one who starts this out by clearly stating, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And, and, and so, again, as a result, it just, it just uh, he, he had such, why? Because he had such confidence in the message. If you go to chapter 3, verse 12 uh, in Acts there, uh, Peter has, has just performed a miraculous healing. And people were wondering why this person was healed. This is somebody they knew. He'd been, he'd been uh, a cripple from birth almost. And Peter speaks to the confusion. He says this. He says, Oh, Israel, why does this take you by such complete surprise? Why stare at us as if our power or our piety <clears throat> made him walk? He says, The God of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, The God of our ancestors has glorified his son, Jesus. The very one Pilate called innocent, you repudiated. You repudiated the Holy One, the just one, and asked for a murderer in his place. I mean, Peter's going right for the jugular, you know. There's no political correctness here, man. He's just saying it as it really is. And he goes on to say uh, uh, that you uh, no sooner killed the author of life than God raised him from the dead. And and we're the witnesses. Faith in Jesus' name put this man, whose condition you know so well, on his feet. Yes, faith, and nothing but faith, put this man healed and whole right before your eyes. Here is Peter who's taking every opportunity that he can uh, to proclaim Christ. Um, In chapter 5. You know, when he's dragged in before the, the Sanhedrin, he proclaims with confidence the message in an unwavering way. He's been transformed because of the gospel. He's now empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And he understands full well the, the, the need that mankind has to know this message, to understand it. It's something that's been incredible that's changed in Peter's life. He knows that, that if a life is going to be lived well, it has, as people, we have to have confidence in what the Word is saying. Oh, I remember back uh, in college, it's where I learned how to share the gospel with people. And um, I remember one time in particular, God placed upon my heart the need to go back home and share the gospel with a good friend of mine, somebody I'd grown up with. I chose to go to college. He chose to stay home and work in the factories. And, and I really had this burden. Uh, and so I, I decided one weekend that's exactly what I was going to do. Uh, I called Bob up and I said, hey, I'm coming home this Friday. You got some time? And he says, yeah, man, we'll, we'll hang out together. So I went home, and, and uh, Friday night, we, that's what we did. We hung out, and we had a great time. And there were many opportunities I had in the course of that evening to turn the conversation around to talk to him about Christ. But you know what? I chickened out. And Bob wasn't a religious guy, and I'd often heard Bob make fun of, of people who were you know, into Christianity and, and religion, and I just didn't want Bob to, to reject the message, you know. Reject me. I didn't think he would reject me so much, although I knew he'd make fun of me. And, but, but I really wanted him. And so I, I didn't say anything. But that was okay. I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to see Bob again in three weeks. It'll be uh, uh, Thanksgiving break. I'll come home, and I'll, I'll take that time then to share, share the gospel with him. And so the three weeks came and went. I went home, and uh, I remember calling his house that night uh, that I got home, and uh, nobody answered. Called some of the friends that, that Bob knew that I was friends with. Hey, uh, anybody know where Bob's at? No, nobody knew. So I went to three or four of the hangouts that Bob always went to uh, on a Friday or Saturday night. But nobody saw Bob. Bob wasn't there. I thought, well, that's really strange. This is unusual. Um, well, I went home, went to bed, got up the next morning, was working in the garage on my car. I was doing a little minor maintenance work, and my brother, who lived the street over from us, uh, came over, and he, he just had this horrible look on his face. I thought, Tommy, what's wrong? He said, you better sit down. He said, I got some news. I said, well, what, what's up? He said, well, Bob died last night in a plane crash. And not only Bob, but his girlfriend, Bob's older brother who had his pilot's license, and, and his girlfriend. See, the four of them had decided to fly to another city and go to a restaurant, have a nice meal, and something different for the girls. And he'd just gotten his pilot's license. And I guess what had happened was a, a thunderstorm had come through and uh, as they were uh, taking off in the airport, uh, the wind just literally pushed the plane into, into the ground. You know, the first thing I thought when my brother told me that? I remember. I said, oh, no, I was supposed to share the gospel with Bob. I didn't do it. Well, you know, <laughs> um, I'm not saying that Bob would have trusted Christ as his Savior if I would have shared the gospel with him. And, and I don't know, maybe in that three-week time period, maybe God had brought someone else along Bob's path who was more faithful and shared the gospel with him. Um, but, but that's not the point. The point was God told me to do something, and I didn't do it. See, one of the things that, that if you look in point three that, that I think is important, in, in Peter's life, there, there was this commitment to be submissive to the call of God. Now, th this is a little different than, than being obedient to God. See, there are going to be times when God is going to call you and you alone to do something specific that, that relates biblically. Now, God will never call us to do something that, that goes against his word. 
And for me, in that situation, I knew God was calling me specifically to go and share the gospel of Bob. I didn't do that. You see, Peter, on the other hand, is willing to do it at all costs. Two times in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, Peter is called and told to stop preaching. In Acts chapter 4, verse 19, when Peter and John are told to keep quiet about what they're doing, they reply this way. Uh, They say this, they say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. (laughs) For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And again, in chapter 5, verse 19, as they're standing before this high court, you can make life miserable for them, they say, no, we must obey God rather than men. Peter was just so absolutely committed to his sense of calling, to the mission that God had given him, that he was willing to obey in spite of whatever the opposition, even the loss of his own life, which ultimately would come. Now, I'm not saying God would do that for us. For most of us, that's not going to be the case. But it is a great example for us to look at. I don't know about you, but but I take great comfort. I'm I'm encouraged by, by watching how God has worked in Peter's life. To get him to the point of where he boldly stands up and says, hey, we must obey God rather than men. You see, from time to time, we are going to be challenged. There are going to be people who have their agenda that they're going to want us to commit to. Sometimes we're going to have an agenda that's different from God's, and a choice has to be made. Am I going to follow God's agenda or my own? You see, a person who's experiencing a life well-lived, is someone who's willing to submit to the call that God has in their life. doesn't matter what path Peter was going down, what opposition or challenges that were there. He had such a, a sense of, of a confidence in the word of God, he, he, he was just so willing to commit to whatever God's call was that he did so. A number of years ago, there was a, an athlete on the Penn State football team, and some of the guys uh, were trying, they were witnessing to him, and they, they were trying to get uh, an opportunity to share the gospel with him. He was a real nice guy, just had one of these infectious personalities, you know. He just loved to be around him. He, he would always address you as, yes, sir, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, just, just very polite. Uh, but yeah, he wasn't too interested in, in Christianity. He wasn't too interested in, uh, in, in the gospel, to say the least. And then one day, he came down with a disease. Now, I cannot pronounce the disease. I mean, it's literally about this long. <laughs> he can, but I can't. Um, but, but the disease, it was similar to like Lou Gehrig's or MS, but worse, because it, it deteriorated the muscles in a much quicker fashion. And, he, and literally, in a month's time period, he went from, from not being able to do leg presses of about 500 pounds to where he just couldn't do leg presses, couldn't do bench pressing. He had to have transportation take him to class. He couldn't even carry the books in his backpack on his back. He got so weak. And one time he came to our Bible study. And at the end of the Bible study, it was our custom to take prayer requests. And then we'd, you know, hold hands and pray. And he went in to share about this disease that he had uh, that uh, he's contracted that has no cure for. The doctors didn't know what to do with him, but the, his, his muscle tone was uh, deteriorating greatly, uh, quickly. Couldn't practice with the team. And, and he was going in for regular checkups, and they were trying to figure out what to do, how, how to handle the situation. And so he, he said, uh, now he wasn't a Christian. And he just said, you know, I, I think I could use some prayer. <laughs> and so, yeah, man, yeah, sure, kind. <laughs> you know, so we, you know, got together and we, we held hands, we prayed for him, and we asked, you know, God, if, if it's according to your kind intention, if it's according to your will, would you just heal this individual? Would you raise him up? 
the full health. Now, it didn't happen overnight. In fact, it took another maybe four to six weeks. But, but they began to see such an incredible change. that The medical staff they began to see he was getting his strength back to the point of where he, to make a long story short, he was able to get back on the team. He was able to compete and compete, compete quite well for Penn State. But what happened uh, before that time was that it got his attention. And he was willing to sit down with one of the guys on the team and hear a gospel presentation. And he invited Jesus Christ to come into his heart. And he said it was because God, he says, I know God touched me. He says, I was facing death because I guess the way this disease works, it, you know, your heart, which is a muscle, all of a sudden doesn't work. <laughs> so uh, he knew he was headed for death with, with no chance for, uh, you know, there's no medical uh, medicine or, or technique that they could use to heal him. And he knew that was God. And he went on to become a leader in our ministry, and he now pastors a church in New Jersey. He, he could have probably gone into the NFL, but he decided he played behind LeVar Arrington. If any of you follow Penn, follow Penn State football, you know LeVar was a, a freak of nature. I mean, he, he was just such a, an incredible athlete. Uh, but any time that this athlete got in to play, he always, he always uh, caused a, a significant uh, good thing in terms of, of performance and play. Uh, but he, did, he decided, I'm not going to go into uh, uh, the NFL. I'm not going to try there. I want to go into the ministry. And he's serving the Lord. You see, uh, again, the, the issue became one of, of understanding the importance of prayer. Point four, if you're following along your notes. Peter and, and, and the community that Peter was with understood the importance of prayer and being committed to it. Uh, in chapter four, after Peter and the apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, this is the first time, and they're told to keep quiet. This is what they did. If, if you, you look over in verse 24, of the book of Acts. Says, and on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people uh, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. See, the first thing they do is they go back to their friends and, and they pray. And Peter prays a, a wonderful prayer, for example, uh, about God's sovereignty and how it's even part of God's plan for them to encounter opposition. <laughs> Listen to what he says in verse 29. Uh, yeah, good, thank you. He says, now the Lord considered their threats. Or he says, now Lord consider their threats, talking about the, the religious establishment, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now notice, Peter doesn't say, oh God, you know, get these people off my back or off our backs. Or, or oh God, uh, uh, stop the persecution. God, why is this happening to us? We're following you and we're serving you and, and yet you're allowing this. To... No, no, he doesn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> In fact, he just says, now, Lord, consider their threats. You know, he says, take note of it. Lord, you know what's going to happen, but give us boldness to proclaim the truth. And again, if you look down in verse um, 31, that's exactly what God does. He gives them boldness to speak. The community of, uh, of there that they had, that they, they were with, that they're characterized by this fervent prayer that went on. You know, you have an opportunity to, to trust God. There's, a, there's an outreach. Uh, the, the cruise is coming again this summer. And I'm sure you've already been praying. But I, I just want to encourage you to keep praying for the leadership that are trying to put this outreach together. If they have not experienced opposition, by now they will. Satan, the last thing Satan wants to do is, is, is to have an attractive outreach where people can come and see genuine Christianity lived out. Satan doesn't want that. 
Pray for the leadership. You need to pray for yourself that, that maybe God would use you to invite someone to come to this outreach, as I'm, I'm sure you're already doing that. Many years ago, I, I got a call from a, a coach. I was discipling um, the assistant uh, soccer coach at Penn State. And uh, one Friday night, he gave me a call. He was single, wasn't married, and he said, uh, Tim, I, I just have this incredible burden to share the gospel with one of the players on the team. He's struggling. He's got some personal issues going through. It's, he's going through. It's impacting his performance. And I just really feel like, you know, he needs to hear the gospel. And I said, great, man. And, you, know, what, you know, when a, your disciple wants to share the gospel, it's like, yeah, I'm all for that. I'm, I'm down with that. Let's do it. I said, why don't you set up an appointment sometime next week with him, Monday or Wednesday. Don't do Tuesday night because that's, that's our weekly meeting, you know. And uh, he said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm going to do it tonight. I go, it's 9 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, is he going to be there? I don't know. He won't answer his phone. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, this is going to be an exercise in fertility. But, you know, I mean, again, what are you going to say? You know, it's, it's, it's your disciple. He, he wants to share. The, uh, okay, okay, we're going to go. So we went over to West Halls. We, we knocked on his door. I'm thinking, he's not going to be there, and we're just going to turn around. But lo and behold, the athlete was there. And we walked in, and he's sitting on his top bunk. And we begin to make some small talk with him and, and uh, just kind of dialoguing and trying to get into uh, wanting to share the gospel with him. And I notice this athlete is uh, he's not too stable. He's looking a little uh, groggy. And I begin to realize, oh, man, he's three sheets to the wind. I mean, it's 10 o'clock at night, and he is drunk. Well, you know, let me tell you something. <laughs> I, I learned early on in my, my young Christian life, um, you don't want to share with people that, that have been drinking too much because either they don't connect the dots or it's going to end up in a fight, as it happened one time in my life. And so I thought, oh, this is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, this isn't going to work. Uh, but he, he, he wasn't uh, antagonistic toward, towards us. He listened to the gospel and then he didn't pray to receive Christ, but uh, we, you know, thanked him and then left. And, I, you know, once in a while I would see this athlete come to some of our weekly meetings. But, you know, he was a fringer at best. Well, 15 years later, I get this phone call. I'm in my office. It's an afternoon. And he says, hi, I'm so-and-so. I don't know if you remember me. I played on the, on the men's uh, soccer team at Penn State. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Yeah. And he says, do you remember that Friday night that you and the coach came and I said, well, I sure do. And he says, well, I just want you to know something. I just want you to know that, that later that night, I prayed to receive Christ. And that, that took hold in my life. He says, I just want you to know, you know, I'm, uh, God has worked in my life. He's changed. I've, I've stopped drinking. He's, he's, he's brought a, a wonderful Christian uh, woman into my life. We're married. We've got some kids. I'm an elder in my church. It happened to be a, a, a free church, an evangelical free church in Ohio. And his, his company had, had transferred him to uh, uh, eastern Pennsylvania. And so he just said, you know, I'm driving by the, uh, the exit to a state college, and I just remembered. I remembered you, and I wanted to call you up, and I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for taking the time to uh, share the gospel. And he said, I plan to get plugged into uh, another evangelical free church somewhere in eastern PA. And, and he says, I plan to continue to be an elder. I want to I influence people's lives. You know, the last point I want to bring here deals with the issue of expecting God to work. <laughs> Even, even when circumstances may say otherwise, you never know what God is doing. Peter exemplified this type of attitude. Again, if you go back into, into Acts chapter 3 and verse 12, you know, you know, here is Peter who heals this crippled man that everybody knew. And I don't know if I have that on the, uh, the screen there, that, the text. Yes, I do. There it is. It says when he heals us, you know, the people there are wondering what's going on. 
And Peter says, you know, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? <laughs> you know, Peter wasn't surprised by this. Again, in chapter 5, when, when Peter is miraculously delivered from jail, um, it, he just goes about his normal activities. He continues to teach people. He, he continues to, to go about the business of the ministry. And again, I don't know about you, but if I'm put in prison and an angel comes to me that night and releases us, I'm going to take a little time to think and reflect. <laughs> like, Wait a minute, what's going on? Not, not Peter. Peter believes God is working no matter what. You know, it's thrilling when you think about this issue. Uh, someone once said this. He, he said, if there are no mountains in view, then your vision is too small. <laughs> I like that. If there's no mountains, there's no opposition in view, then either you're not doing a whole lot for the Lord or your vision is, is kind of small. You know, in, in the Christian life, we need to expect that, especially if we're doing something that, that furthers the gospel, that furthers that, 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 uh, that message. So take heart. See, a life that is well-lived is going to be a life that uh, experiences certain characteristics. Go ahead, next. next. Oh, that was just something if you want to write that down in terms of uh, some scripture there. But I've given you enough, I think, this morning. Uh, th- there are a number of things that we can look at in terms of a life that is well-lived. Someone who, who's living large for God, go ahead, next, next uh, slide, is someone who, who is finding that they are obedient to Christ. They have confidence in in God's word and what God says he will do. And they're willing to submit to to the call that God has in their life. Uh, Becoming a prayer warrior, always expecting that God is going to do what he says he will do.